0: The following recording is a production of WUTZ 88.3 FM on the farm in Summertown, Tennessee.
1: Welcome to The Mystic and the Skeptic, the show that asks the tough questions and explores different alternatives to today's pressing issues, theories, or enigmas.
2: It's a podcast devoted to the exploration of all things mystical, philosophical, scientific, political, conspiratorial, and cosmic. Join us in our first edition in an exploration of the mystic-skeptic mind space.
1: So a mystic is a spiritual maverick, an adventurer, and the skeptic is not a cynic, but a seeker for truth who's not willing to compromise to easy answers. We're your hosts, David and Ryan. Today's show is an introduction of ourselves, the show's roots, and the story of the radio station we're collaborating with. Our producer, Rick Diamond, will share the fascinating history of the farm radio station, W-U-T-Z 88.3 of the FM dial. I would like to invite uh, Ray to share a little bit about the radio station and some of the things that we've talked about regarding um, the the history behind what is the progressive movement within the farm and how did it come about.
0: Well, oh, Thank you, David. Thank you, Ryan. Um, well, I've been in here for 10 years, so that makes me a newcomer. <laughs> Uh, Actually, this month will be uh, 10 years since I moved here. And um, I was a a lawyer, like you, Ryan, and I practiced for um, over 20 years. I practiced in Los Angeles, and I moved moved my family to Charlottesville, Virginia. Brought up my kids there. My then wife and I were kind of, um, distance was forming, and we separated, and I moved to the farm in 2005. I brought my daughter here. She was 14, and uh, she started going to the farm school here. And then my uh, younger son, Rob, came, and he lived here and went to community college and then moved out to California. He just graduated from Stanford. And uh, so um, I feel very fortunate that I was able to find the farm and even more fortunate that I was able to come here. I went to one of Doug Stevenson's uh, farm experience weekends. He does them usually three or four times a year. For people who are interested, you can come and stay a few days. And he has slideshows, and, you know, he can teach you a lot. He's one of the most experienced people on the Mm farms. He's written a couple of books about it. And uh, so, you know, he's been my good friend. We do music together. Um, I finally became a member of just... uh, couple of years ago um, and got married four years, remarried four years ago. My wife has joined me and we've built, you know, taken the cabin that we had, the little cabin and we've added on and we've got a, a nice house now. So it's, it's really been a wonderful thing, but I came here because I was looking for the connection back to the San Francisco people. I grew up in Los Angeles, and I was 17 in 1968. That's when I went to H Street, and that's when I went to Morningstar Commune. Now, Morningstar Commune, also known as the Digger Ranch or the Digger Farm, was a piece of property in, I think, Sonoma County, and the nominal owner was a guy named Lou Gottlieb. He was a bass player in a band, pretty well-known band, called the Limelighters. Hmm. They had a good year and he bought some property as an investment. As he got a little older, his attitudes changed, and he began to feel that it was wrong to claim ownership in property. He began to feel that human beings should have freedom to walk any place on the earth, because because for every person, there's a place where you need to be. And if the earth is covered with fences... And restrictions, then you can't be where you need to be. So he was very, he was like the guru of of Morningstar. And he passed away some years ago, but there's still a lot about him on the net. There's a lot about Morningstar. Now, I left Morningstar. I went back to L.A. I, I kind of went back to the straight world. I got an education. I eventually got married, had a family. And then I was kind of coming towards the end of my career I began wondering what's really important and I realized I didn't like living in a box, in a box, in a box (laughs) and I didn't think it was good for my children either and uh, I began to think more about doing things collectively and cooperatively and doing things not just for the sake of making money but for the sake of being together and accomplishing things and and feeling, you know, good and enjoying life and living more naturally in a way that's psychologically healthier, you know, and, and living with other people, extended families. So I came here on a visit and then I brought my kids back and we, we made several trips and then I eventually rented a cabin. Then I eventually was able to uh, acquire the equity interest in the cabin, which means I'm the, I'm the trustee, even though it belongs to the farm. And, um, Uh, I've been studying the diggers, and I found that, to my surprise, this whole thing that seemed to have started in the 60s really had a precedent in in England in the 1640s and early 1650s with a group called the diggers. Mm -hmm. And uh they were led by a man named Ger- Gerard winston and there was also another man named William Everard in this initial group. They occupied St. George's Hill near London uh so they could grow food on it, and they were chased away, and they wrote eloquent uh, arguments about why people should be allowed to use wasteland to grow their food, and why poor people should be allowed to grow their food. It's not that they're criminals, it's not that they'll steal, but if they're not allowed to live by growing food, what else are they supposed to do? <laughs> so this man in 16 in the 1650s made these very eloquent arguments, and he's been claimed as a forefather by all kinds of groups. Uh, the Quakers... Uh, Well, some people say he was the first Quaker. Uh, When he and William Everard met met with Lord Fairfax to protest the way the the villagers were treating them, treating them like criminals, uh, they refused to take off their hats. And they said, we would off our hats for no man. They were very insistent on really being egalitarian. No man or woman was better than anybody else. And so... In many respects, he's considered the founder of the Quakers. Um, the communists and socialists claim Gerard Winston Lee is one of their own, mm-hmm. but he did not advocate for uh, for forceful expropriation of property. He believed wealthy people could have wealth if they wanted to, but if they were good people, they would probably share. And if you had a big estate, you'd make space available for poor people, you'd make... Commons available, and uh, so he had a system in mind. It's not so much that I'm concerned with the details of his system, but I am concerned that in today's world, Americans, young people that I meet, they're not aware that we really have like two sides to the coin. And we have this conservative side, and Protestant ethic work and survive and make Mm -hmm. a million dollars, but we also have this very idealistic side, and they're both important, and we should honor both of them and, and really not go too far, you know, in either direction, because if you go too far, then you get out of balance, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, that's my thing right now. And the radio station is an instrument. It's a community medium of communication. It's a way of people getting together and thinking together. So I'm really glad you guys are doing this program. Um, and because I believe in, in that... The, the creed of the diggers was very similar to the creeds of other spiritual groups. Do good, communicate, treat, treat others like you want to be treated. But there's a modern component. There's a scientific component, component to all of this. That's the research that's being done on on neuro mm-hmm. on, on brain science mm-hmm. and uh, so let's see, anthropology and how, how, how societies work and so on. There's a lot of new information that's pointing to the validity of some of these old spiritual concepts. Yep. It has to do with emergent intelligence and synergy. And so we need to get together and communicate because then we we produce more intelligence. Uh, also, I feel like I owe a debt to Pacifica Radio. Pacifica Radio was formed, I think, in 1947, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first station was in uh, Oakland, California. It was the first of the non-corporate uh, affiliated radio networks, and it's still the biggest one with I think five, six, seven stations around the country.
1: It's a listener-supported and mm. democratic in voting,
0: and 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 fiercely independent in terms of news coverage. People go out and they get the news. Mm. They go out and they talk to people. They talk to people in the countries where things are going on, and they get the news that other reporters just don't get. And they're always ahead of the curve. They were ahead of the curve in Vietnam by two years. I remember this from my own personal experience. You know, and when when the mainstream press was still in the dark, Pacifica Radio was calling it just like it was. I thought it was crazy. I was young. I was listening to new things. It seemed so radical. Uh, they really believed in free speech. They would let anybody have a radio program. They they let Nazis have their own radio oh, wow. program. <laughs> <They let> <laughs> lesbians <laughs> and gays would not have their own programs, wow. which back then was very unusual. Uh, it was totally committed to free speech, and and it changed who I am. It changed the way I think, and and that's why I try to give back by making sure mm-hmm. that it, it keeps being broadcast. So. You know, people have a source so they can tell what's going on, because otherwise we are in an information blackout.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one thing about this this uh, this time period that we're living in now is it's very it's unique in a lot of ways. But I, th- I think one thing that's that sets this time period apart from all other time periods is the internet, obviously. And the internet is like the it's like the the printing press times a thousand. <laughs> and if you look if you look at the way culture and society changed after the the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, printing press, and if you look at how fast everything is, how rapidly everything is changing now with the internet, uh, it's a very incredible time to, to be alive. and and uh, this 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 history of the diggers and that in that movement uh, is important because uh, I think I think with our generation and and maybe other generations as well, it's it's you. You don't really learn that much in, with respect to history. You, you learn the official history, which is, you yeah, know, some, 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 uh, Bible beaters. And this is a, a very <laughs> crazy, like a very, a, a summary of, of the official history. But some Bible beaters came over on a boat. They had this idea for egalitarian living, uh, they got some help from the Indians. Uh, it, they, then it all of a sudden morphed into colonialism and, and then to the Continental Congress and to the United States. And then here we are today with Congress. Like That's pretty much what you're going to get out of a high school education. Um, and unless you go into college and study from, from there on, you're not going to get anything about the diggers or any of these other movements, uh, which, which would which philosophically challenge the current paradigm that we live in. And uh, uh, one of the things you said with respect to this idea of, 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 it, of it being okay and legal for people to live off the land and not have to, to purchase the property with uh, money and get a title to the property, but just to just live on the land, and the, that being a, a fundamental human right, a fundamental human natural right to be able to, to live on the land. Uh, it made me think about one of the quotes I had heard from Stephen Gaskin in a documentary I watched. Is that it should be le- it should be legal to be a peasant, and you should be able to do that. You should be able to voluntarily withdraw yourself from the system and say, yeah, "If you want your wealth, have it. If you want your proper, if you want your private property, have it." But there should be a way or an agreement to allow people to to live off the land. Without without the threat of being thrown into jail, or without the threat of confiscation, and all these other things. And uh, what's interesting now with the internet is that we actually have the ability to to spread these um, spread these different philosophies and these different paradigms. And and with with the the, the with the uh, the concept that we have the freedom of speech within this country, that you can actually propagate those and. And the radio station and this podcast is one of those means of doing that. So it's, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's, I find it very a very fascinating time to live. And I, I didn't always think that. A lot of times I, I, I used to think to myself, oh man, I wish I would have grown up in the 60s. Or I wish I would have grown up back in some other time. But, but now I've realized this, this is a pretty amazing time to be alive. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of change occurring very rapidly
1: and just briefly i wanted to um connect the dots uh stephen gaskin is the founder of the farm community and pacifica radio are the the nonprofit that brought about democracy now with uh, amy goodman so just for our audience if you're not familiar with some of the things we're sharing um i agree with you ryan that uh, we're living in a, in a very uh unique time but the one thing that i've been worried uh and it has to do a little bit with uh, philosophy is that since there's so much information out there and there's so many perspectives uh, in, in an equal setting, especially on the Internet, is that um, the postmodern idea of every, every truth being equal or every perspective being uh, subjective or not, not uh, you know, it's a rebellion against modernism and the idea of objective truth and being able to find it. Um, that has pretty much mud- muddied the waters for any type of uh, uh, discussion, it's really easy to dismiss someone and say, well, that's your opinion. And in, in science, they still work within some type of a modern um, paradigm as they try to make um, sense of the chaos. So um, in the book that uh, we're featuring tonight, um, he talks a lot about how part of being an intellectual is... Being um, confident of the search for truth and reason and being able to, um, you know, have a measuring rod to be able to uh, decide what's uh, reasonable and what's not. Uh, So being able to question, to criticize, to, um, you know, go further than just the basic uh, bullet points or uh, can answers that people can give you about their perspectives that's what uh, we really like to pursue in the show. Well,
0: you reminded me of uh, a story Amy Goodman reported this last week about a, two reporters from two Swedish reporters who went to Ethiopia because they wanted to cover they were doing investigative journalism on a Swedish company doing uh, oil uh, uh, business in Ethiopia. They, they were smuggled in. They wanted to stay undercover, but they were caught, they were shot, they were charged as terrorists, they were put in prison, and they were there for over 400 days in Ethiopia with over 8,000 political prisoners from Ethiopia. And this one reporter was interviewed, and I thought Amy did a really good job getting the information out of him, because it was like he didn't want to talk, but she kept mm-hmm. pulling it out, <laughs> and it was such a moving story. Um, but basically, this guy got through it day by day because he believes in his mission as a journalist and in search of the truth and somebody who's trying to get to the truth. And he also talked about people who just come and they leave and they never get the story. And so, you know, there's a difference. The people who really get into it, if you talk with them, you can hear. You know, they've got the experience. They know what they're talking about. I, I just... In terms of what you were saying, David, independent thinking, people have to think independently. It doesn't come automatic. Mm-hmm. It has people have to be trained somewhat, you know, in, in, you have to understand logic. You mm-hmm. have to understand some of the fallacies that are used because they trick people and they do it over and over again. We can be tr- tricked by different mm-hmm. kinds of circular reasoning or different kinds of arguments that people make okay. based on fear. So that happens yeah. all the time, you know, and and you have to be alert. And, and when you see these arguments, you have to point them out and say, "Wait a minute, that's not true. You're you're
2: manipulating people." Yeah, exactly. I uh, the the idea of the uh, the idea of the Latin trivium, uh, reason, logic, and, and rhetoric, and and being able to work with those and understand when somebody is giving you a load of crap, basically, right. and. Uh, before I went to law school i I wasn't taught that. I wasn't taught in the high school I, maybe a little bit in philosophy class and undergrad but in in law school it, it that's when I really started to question a lot of things that I had been taught. I, I was raised Roman Catholic and um, in in that process of law school, I my faith went out the window. Uh, it, it's since then changed a little bit um, like I have I have a, a, a spiritual side to me now, but but uh, Without that training, being able to determine whether someone's giving you a load of crap, parse out the rhetoric and, and all these other things. Uh, but uh, you, the 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 paradigm within this country, especially with respect to the the ABC news outlets and the infotainment news, is it's all just it's all just a question. It's a it's a staged question, staged answer. You have it's 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 presented as an, as a debate because you have one guy from one side and the other person from another side, but it's, it's not, it's, it's just, it's just staged rhetoric. And, and, uh, unless you know that that's occurring, unless you know that you're being lied to, unless you know that it's propaganda, you're, you're, you're their pawn basically. You're going to, I mean, that's how the elections work. The, The congressmen are, are spewing out the same type of rhetoric. They're spewing out the party line. Um, it's presented as like there's an actual choice and a debate between these two, but but really there's not. <laughs> and
1: there's nothing wrong with being suspicious. That's something else I mentioned in the book. There's nothing wrong with uh, learning to uh, criticize things appropriately. I think um, voices that are uh, the minority have very little power. And uh, in, in the next show, I'm going to talk a, lot, uh, a little bit about that regarding immigration, that when you have... Um, group of people with no uh voice and in very limited power is very easy for them to get trampled by the forces uh that be so um i feel that uh, an outlet like this uh, allows us to bring up issues and to question things and to address things that uh, are not as, as simple as uh, the dichotomies that um the the rest of the media or the, the public uh said before us so Any issue, they'll just say, well, there's a conservative uh, position and then there's a liberal position. Well, the more that I research each position, there's all these agendas and uh, associations and people involved and histories behind it that uh, really uh, drive the the issues one way or the other. So once you you side with one group, you're pretty much siding with their whole platform. And to me, that's very problematic because uh, I can't fully give all of my attention and all my my uh, being to things that I, uh, I disagree with and at, at times fundamentally. This idea of having a community radio station, uh, I have some experience uh, volunteering with uh, KPFT uh, Pacifica and Houston. Um, I found it um, very uh, intriguing to have that idea of having shows from all types of perspectives how how do you run a completely equitable radio station?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never heard of anything at at uh, Pacifica being especially Pacific. Actually, it's not a p- very peaceful place. There's a lot of conflict. I understand. You know, in, when these decisions are made, and those those com- those decisions were very hard fought. And there is a biography of the founder that goes into some of the details about that. Uh, but the underlying theory is the same, the same theory as, uh, it was a John Locke who talked about freedom in the marketplace of ideas. Uh, if you get exposed to different ideas and you use your intelligence, you're going to be able to figure out which ones are good and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, and a modern theory that might explain that a little differently is the way, uh, some scientists are looking at evolution now. Thanks to computer models, you know, like you were saying with the net, it's the di- digitalization is a revolution. It's, it's it's a huge revolution, and now people and scientists understand that uh, the way uh, evolution works um, through computer models has to do with uh, solving problems, and and if a solution will solve a problem, then that solution gets incorporated into other uh solutions for bigger problems so we're constantly evolving little pieces of what will turn out to be the solutions mm-hmm. but they can't come along at once the little pieces have to come along and then people have to work with them and put them together and then you get a more a, you know final better solution mm-hmm. so for the problems we have right now we need to be figuring out solutions and I know a lot of people are trying but I just feel that the ideological debate is really a distraction, mm-hmm. and it's a cover up for the people who want to keep, keep uh, destroying the earth yeah. for their own
2: personal yeah. gain. Uh, this idea of, of the internet and, and, and uh, the solutions and, and the bits and pieces coming together to, to evolve from there—it's uh, like a—it's—it's it's like in a lot of ways, it's like a living system. The living system is organic. It. It uh, it evolves through cooperation, not through competition. And so the genes in the body, you know, your DNA and the genes in your body uh, evolve over time. They cooperate with each other. They do. They're not. They're not uh, in competition. And through the cooperation and through, the, through that organic process, then evolution occurs. And so it's happening. It's happening with computer programs. It's happening with the internet. And uh, it's happening with radio stations like Pacifica, where where it, where you put you put the information out there, you let people hear it, and you let people come to their own decisions, um, or or come to their own mindset about it. As far as that as, as far as that's related as far as that's related to this idea of, of the ultimate truth, well in some ways that interchange of ideas and 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 presenting it to people equally on an equal footing allows for that cooperation to occur and then something new is created. Um, as a result of that.
0: Yeah. One, one thing that, that's created is a, is a sense of moral um, agreement. A lot of times, because it's like <clears throat> it doesn't matter whether something is objectively true if nobody agrees on it. I mean, if objectively to, to who? You know, to some third party. But if it, what really makes something work is people, if an idea and if people agree on something fundamentally that something is right or something is wrong, there, you've got an established principle of morality, and it's not based on anything objective but it's based on a collective subjectivity. Uh, you know, again, I use the word group head, but the scientists would you know talk about uh emergent intelligence, mm-hmm. in other words, we exist as a species, as a superorganism, We're, we are the cells of a superorganism. It's all this gets into the mystical part, mm-hmm. you know, everything is a reflection of everything else, everything is a microcosm. Of the macrocosm, and you know what I mean. As above,
2: so below. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then inside, also, is the power is inside. That's a mystic, basic mystic concept that even though we seem powerless because we're weak, that we connect on the inside. If we go deep enough into ourselves, we reach a level where we're all connected, mm-hmm. and we can tap into that. And mm-hmm. our practice, whatever that happens to be.
2: And and through that and, and through that exchange of ideas if you allow yourself to become open to another person's perspective, another person's opinion, then you're actually allowing that energy to flow it, But if you're trapped in an ideology, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing per se wrong with having a certain ideology. Uh, it's like a guiding principle in life and, or other, th- uh, in other perspective, other parts of your life. But if, but if you're blinded by it and you don't accept it, then that's, it's stopping it dead on and nothing, nothing comes about, comes out of that. But if you're able to open yourself up to these other ideas and other perspectives, over time, at least in my in my experience, has been that you what you find is, is that there's much more there's much more things held in common when you get down to it than there's then there are differences. With respect to these political issues that are presented in left versus right, that's not always the case because that there's ideology on both sides and there's no meeting of the heads heads there, so uh, the the uh, opening yourself up to that exchange is is important, and it's uh, it's really just part of being, in my mind, a a human being. And the, the
0: original people here on the farm experimented with this; they were aware of it, and and it's called the energy. You know, I mean, and it's like. Let the energy flow, you know. And and when we're negative, we're blocking the energy. And when you can, you can hear that in con- a conversation. You can listen to the, you know, person saying, you know, this is good, this is groovy. I'm going with this. And you can hear another time the same person might be saying, oh, I don't like this. This is bad. I don't want to do that. You know, we, we go in negative and positive flows. So the more we can learn to go in positive flow, the better off we are. The happier we are.
1: I know that during meditation, they they do this uh, spirit led. Um, conversation Uh, i haven't uh, done that yet but when when we did a chaplaincy training a lot of my uh, uh, fellow chaplains who are protestant or or even catholic would talk about this being led by the spirit and to me it was very weird like it was kind of like what are we talking about and i i know that the the language comes from biblical idea of um god dwelling within people and god moving from uh to moving people to do great things or to be in community with one another. But, uh, the skeptic in me is, sounds, thinks of it as this very, um, uh, utopian or very, um, what's the word, um, not idealistic, but very, not naive
2: or loosey goosey.
1: Well, it's kind of, <laughs> this is where, where yeah. it can, like, I get lost sometimes with some of the new age, uh, philosophy because, um, Okay. So, so people have this, this, uh, communion and this connection with one another. But, um, so the moment that one person says, you know what, this is not working for me or I find objection with whatever you guys think the spirit is leading, does that person become a heretic? Do they become a, a pariah or you just go with the flow and let it take you wherever it's going to take you? That, that would be my question regarding some of, some of these type of ideas to me the
0: in in the old the old hippies to me it was like hey as long as you're not hurting anybody everything's cool go with it you know i mean tolerance toleration live and let live if you have issues that you have to work out you have to work them out if you if you come to me for some guidance i'll try to help i might be able to help maybe i won't you know but it's like we're all kind of You know, floating around back in those days, a lot of, a lot of people were so high, you know, literally, you know, it's like, how do you, you you know, you could see another person. Ah, you know, you could smile and they'd smile at you. Ah, friendly. (laughs) But, but it was, it's kind of like we assume a lot. We assume a lot. And really, I try to remind myself, Everything is in motion. Everything is, is changing. I try to remind myself about this inward, outward, you know, uh, reflectivity, mm-hmm. this mirror image kind of, and the macrocosm, microcosm. When people say, you know, the spirit, I think, okay, a lot of times when people say that, they mean, okay, think about what is immortal. Think about what's lasting rather than the, than the physical and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the mortal, more, t- more t- mortal self. You know, try to think from from the eternal self, and that mm-hmm. puts us all into maybe a kind of a Christ consciousness. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. I mean, yeah, this with with the recent developments in quantum theory, the idea is, is that that all points in space and time are interconnected, and that um, if if you if you're going to um, if you ascribe to the idea of the big bang well then the the big bang theories is that everything at one point was su- super densely interconnected and and if you if you look at the new the new quantum theories with uh, uh, non-local interaction between uh, between particles that are can be light years away from each other then then that lends credence to this the spiritual idea that we are we are all interconnected it's not just a religious theory mm-hmm. That, that the ancient, the, the ancient sages and the mystics and uh, spiritual people knew this intuitively and they presented it in, in whatever way that they could at that time in, the, in their cultural or social way, which over time morphed into religious ritual and, and established religions. So this idea of the, of uh, the Holy Spirit, in my mind, connects with this idea of the interconnectedness of consciousness. And if consciousness is a manifestation of quantum exchanges in the brain, and all those quantum particles are were at once interconnected, then and if you take and, and if you extend beyond that with this idea of non-local interaction, then that's a scientific way to explain the Holy Spirit. And then what you were saying is this idea: okay, if we're all together and we're all one, and there's this exchange going on between us, and there's one group who, who's who's saying this one thing, like go with the flow, and I'm sitting here saying, wait up a second. Here's my thought. Well, that's a part of it. You're a part of it. So to question what other people are saying is not, in my mind, would not be going against the spirit, but would be, but would be actually um, expressing your your manifestation of it, your 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 individual perception within that hole. So, uh, the, I don't know if that explains the idea of the, because, the uh, Holy Spirit. But.
1: In in every group, there's always the danger of it becoming institutionalized. So even in science now, there's the old scientists and the old philosophers, and then the new ones are in, in uh, conflict with those. And you see that in religions also. Like the Buddha was a Hindu, and then he, he uh, established his own train of thought in comparison to hinduism so, mm-hmm. um, but having the the room to be able to uh, dissent or have different perspectives and still respect people, and I think Martin Luther King talked a lot about that, about that even the people who were hateful towards him and, and his people, uh, they're still people, they're still uh, creating the image of God, and they should be loved no matter how they uh, perceive you or treat you. Uh, so I think, like you said, having that eternal perspective. Um, Going back to the politics and some of of these issues, uh, I remember Chris Rock saying in one of his shows that uh, anybody who makes up his mind before thinking about an issue is an idiot. And I think that that's something also that I think is important, that um, a lot of times we have preconceived notions or things that that we find questionable, and we just say, I don't want to deal with that, I don't even want to hear it. But until we give it an opportunity and, and explore that, then we can make a decision if we find that, uh, compelling or not. So I think that, um, I, I'm not very familiar with some of the new scientific theories, but I, I al- always find it, uh, fascinating that, um, both psychology and science have become very, um, uh, accessible. Uh, so I'll be the first one to say that, uh, in, in religion, also people use a lot of religious language. I'll be the first one to say, well, uh, that sounds great and dandy, but, um, Show me the, the actual research. Show me the where all this stuff is coming from. Because I think that uh, in our modern culture, it's, it's easy to pick different things from different uh, ideas, and I'm not saying you're doing that, but uh, to support someone's uh, notions or somebody's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so. sometimes I, I get kind of uh, weird out when I will start talking to somebody and they start bringing up uh, all these different um, polls or... Um, um, what is uh, sociology? Use a lot of um, statistics mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, just in the news, um, I saw a politician use statistics to support what he had already said that was offensive. Yeah. To <laughs> so, uh, so. Uh, but again, uh, we had a good conversation last night as we were preparing for the show about how being confident as an intellectual, as someone who, who wants to be an intellectual, is to be able to talk about different fields. All this knowledge, all these things we've been exposed to, make part of, of our uh, consciousness. So they're all important. And people now, they pigeonhole themselves as like, well, I only know about politics. Or I only know about science or art or things like that. It's like, why can't we be a full person? Why can't we have a holistic understanding of the universe and share that with one another and grow from learning from one another?
2: Well, I, th- I think that that's kind of what this this uh, podcast is about, too, which is to, to bring that out in conversation and to also... Expose, expose people to different thoughts and different opinions, different perspectives, uh, different lines of thought. Um, and, and what you were saying with respect to with all the different information out there and all these different theories that are out there, that kind of brings us back to this idea of the mystic and the skeptic. Well, the mystic is, is someone who has had a myst, in my opinion anyway, is someone who's had some type of mystical experience. And uh, religions and, and other spiritual practices are, are geared towards getting you to that mystical experience to where you have the, the, uh, the, actual, uh, the actual gnosis or, or uh, experiential knowledge of God or cosmic consciousness or the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it. Um, what, whereas the skeptic is trying to, to garner that on the scientific or the rational level Ascribed to this theory that there's two hemispheres of the mind, the left the left brain and the right brain. The right brain is is uh, more intuitive. The left brain is more rational and more logical. Well, well, you know, the mystic more more often than not probably lives more in the right brain, and the the, the skeptic more often than not is probably living within the left brain. So, uh, the skeptic is looking for a a left brain way to describe what the mystic is experiencing, and and to put it into uh, rational terms like uh, scientific terms uh, so that it can be explained to someone else and and so that you can get past this like hmm, that doesn't sound right so with with science and what we have now this with with quantum theory we finally have a universal language for explaining what the mystics are talking about or what spiritual people are talking about and so it's the scientific is a, it's a universal language now if uh, it's it's outside of culture and, it's, and uh, uh, it's outside of culture. It's outside of religion. It's a universal. It's, a it's exactly it's a universal language which which appeals to the the intellect of the human mind. And so now we actually have the ability to express these things outside of uh, religion, outside of one religious perspective or one cultural perspective. So that that to me is, is pretty amazing. And that's, and, uh, you know, in, in my mind that wouldn't occur, that wouldn't be occurring if it weren't for the internet. If, if I just think about my own process in finding these things and, and delving into these things, if it weren't for the internet, I would probably, I would probably still be in Beatrice, Nebraska working, you know, who knows what I'd be doing, but <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, uh, it's fascinating, and 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 uh, you know through this through this podcast, I think what we'll what hopefully we'll be able to do for ourselves and and for the people that we that we talk with and people that listen is to is to uh, kind of bridge that gap between the mystic and the skeptic.
1: So uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, this is the Mystic and the Skeptic.
2: Uh, I just like to say thanks to Rick uh, for for having us here in his home and and for letting us use his equipment and and uh, working with the radio station. And thanks to you, David, for, for getting this, this all going. It's been it's been awesome. First first round and looking forward to more. So thank you.